0: You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to the Testudo Times Podcast. Matt Levine and Lila Bromberg with you today. And it's another week of college basketball, men's and women's. We'll get to all of it. We'll start with the men's side. Kind of going in... in, the, a different direction than it was last season, uh, which was expected. But just so many different ups and downs right now. And they sit at 6-5 and five after a loss to Michigan and Indiana. We'll talk a little bit about both. And we'll get to a preview of a game against Iowa on Thursday. And then they play Illinois on Sunday. So it doesn't get easy for this team. Every night it's a battle of playing a team that's pretty much better than them.
1: Yeah, I mean, we knew coming into the season that just losing pieces and Jalen Smith and Anthony Cowan and just like the recruiting class coming in and kind of their misses in the transfer transfer portal and getting, you know, grad guys coming in. It's just they really missed the mark this offseason. Uh, Turgeon didn't really recruit anyone that was good enough to replace Anthony Cowan. Um, you know, I think Eric Ayol is much more of a two-player player. Um, And, you know, they didn't really have that dominant talent down low either. And it's really shown, you know. I think that that would have been tough for them regardless. But in a year like this in the Big Ten, when you currently have seven teams ranked in the top 25, you had nine last week. I mean, it's just not going to cut it. And, uh, yeah, we said going into the season that this was not going to be a great year for this team. And it's certainly showing already.
0: And something that is a bright spot for this team is the height in the backcourt in terms of its guards. But when you look in the front court, they don't have any height there. Uh, And they got absolutely torched by Hunter Dickinson, freshman for Michigan. uh, And that led him to win freshman of the week again in the Big Ten. So in that game, there was really no stopping Dickinson, a DeMatha guy who said some things about Maryland, not recruiting him heavy enough before the game. He said it after the game as well um so there was a lot on that and he did come into the Xfinity Center and he just beat Maryland I mean it was one of the most dominant performances I've seen from a freshman against this team and after a couple shots he made he he would stare down Maryland's bench and that got him a technical foul in that game so there must have been that something
1: there. very heated too
0: there got there must be something personal there I don't know but he really came in and just took it to them
1: yeah, I mean, you mentioned that height down low, and, you know, they're currently having Dante Scott play, like, three positions, and he's excelling at it, and he has played good against those guys, but at the end of the day, like, you need an actual guy down there. Galen Smith hasn't been great. He got into foul trouble against Indiana and had to lead the game with, like, five minutes left, which just can't happen, and, you know, Turden hasn't been playing uh troll all, and, you know, Matt and I are a bit divided on this. I, I personally think that you know, he he is a good player, at least from what he's shown in recent games. Does he have a level they necessarily need? No. But when you have this team, sometimes you just need to bring in a guy with that height, especially when you have that um, second half against a team like Indiana or kind of a team like Michigan where they're just grabbing all the boards. You, you need that height there. In that Michigan game, then in the Indiana game, he only played seven minutes combined in those games. And I understand there are concerns there in terms of his shooting – the movement and things like that. But I think he has looked improved in the games he's been in. And I've been kind of surprised by how quickly Trojan has taken him, him out and how little minutes he's gotten. He hasn't turned the ball over since back against Clemson on December 9th. Has he really been able to score much? No, but you know, he's been solid at the line and he honestly just hasn't really gotten the chances, but he's, you know, had a lot of blocks. He, really showed I fought against Purdue that he can kind of like defend in the paint, even against these bigger guys, just because of his wingspan. And I think that could have helped them in both those games where you're getting out rebounded, especially in the second half.
0: I mean, I think he's a presence in height down low, but for me, I want to go with the guy who's a little bit stronger, like a guy like Dante Scott, who's lacking the height and has that more muscle and more aggressiveness as a player. Um, so when, when I think of Scholl getting low, uh, a low amount of minutes, really, um, single-digit minutes in a lot of these games, hasn't played double digits since Purdue. And I think that's just a matter of stronger Big Ten big men and Hunter Dickinson just being too good for Michigan. Uh, Nate Reavers, another guy on Wisconsin who's just too good and too strong. And then Indiana, I mean, their big guy, Trace Jackson Davis, is, again, too big, too strong. Those are all players that I think are going to be all Big Ten players this year, um, three big men from Wisconsin, Michigan, and Indiana. So when when I'm looking at that, I'd rather have a stronger guy with a little bit less height that has more of that experience that I know is going to be successful on the floor if I put him in there, um, as opposed to more of a try it out. So I think Chole is still developing into the player that he can be, still trying it out, still working through his injuries. Um, I know he's healthy now, but you got to get that timing back in. And I think it's, it's still going to take a little bit more time and it's tough to do against when you're going up against all big 10 players every night um, with these big 10 big guys.
1: See, I disagree. I mean, I don't, Dante Scott should not be playing the five. Trojan does this way too much where he plays I mean you saw with Jalen Smith last year in that workout but like Dante Smith should not be playing the five I've said it all year he's not being used the right way and uh you're not going to get the most out of Dante Scott having him at the five and I I think we just haven't seen enough of Troll. I was really impressed with his minutes um in, in the last few games but like he's not seeing any time and I just I don't think that's the right move. I think you have to give him a chance. I mean, you mentioned maybe something's going on in practice we don't know about, but he has been solid on the defensive end, Um, even against those bigger bodies. If you kind of go back and look at the film, he has been better. Yes, he's had his struggles, but everyone on this team has been struggling, Um, and I just don't think it's the best option for this team to have Dante Scott at a five position. You know, he should be playing the four and he should be used more at the four. And you can't really completely utilize his skills if he's at the five. And, you know, again, that's another one of those things where it just hurts a guy's NBA. It hurts a guy's pro chances. It doesn't utilize them in the best way and allow them to really give all of their skills to the team. And I think with this roster and how just the level it's at, I mean, I don't think it's going to hurt you much bringing in shoulders because, like, who they have is not that much better, if I'm being completely honest.
0: I mean, I think Galen Smith has been good when he's not in foul trouble in terms of just being a body on the floor. Um, but that's his problem is getting into foul trouble. He fouled out against Indiana, you mentioned. That's the
1: thing. He, can't, he doesn't really defend without fouling.
0: Well, that's that's his issue in the last couple of games. But when he's not been in foul trouble, he's been pretty solid in terms of stopping, not stopping big men, but at least containing them a little bit uh, and forcing teams to shoot outside the arc. And he's a guy that has that experience playing three years at Alabama. He's, I mean, he
1: barely played, though.
0: I mean, yeah, but if, if we're going to go back and, like, look, I, I don't want to slander Joel Mario, but this guy hasn't been on the floor because of his injuries and things like that. So
1: I think Turgeon has pulled him prematurely, and Turgeon isn't really even giving him a shot. And it's something I've heard a lot about. it. It's a huge point of confusion for a lot of people because he has played good minutes lately. And it doesn't serve a team to play him like one minute against Indiana, especially when you're struggling to rebound the ball. Even if he's just in there to get rebounds, you need that with how short a team is and how the Big Ten is.
0: I mean, even when he's in, though, he hasn't been getting rebounds at a high level. He's—I mean, he's—he's he's the guy that's seven foot two, seven foot three. And he's a presence down low no matter what. He's always going to be that. But there's guys that are going to be stronger than him and box him out to get the ball. And I think that's more of where he needs to work on is just the footwork of boxing out stronger defenders. I
1: agree. I just think that he's not going to get the experience he needs to get to that level just through practice. You know, if he's just going against Galen Smith in practice, he's never going to get to a level he needs to be. And this year, like, They're not good this year. Um, They're going to be struggling in games, and I just think you got to get him more experience. Um, Because you got to at least try. You know, he's never going to get to that level if you're playing him the amount of minutes you've been playing him. Three minutes against Wisconsin, six against Michigan, one against Indiana. And all of those he was pulled not even after, like, a mistake or anything. Like, Turgeon just decided that he didn't want to play him. Um, And – I think, I think that hurts them. You know, you got to kind of just at least try there because he's never going to get the experience to be at the level you need him to be if he's seeing such a little game time. He needs to be playing against these bigger bodies in the Big Ten to be able to learn.
0: Well, I'll ask you this. I think going up against Rutgers, only two minutes, Miles Johnson was the big guy in that game. Um, Purdue, he played well against Travion Williams. And then Wisconsin has Nate Reavers, Michigan has Hunter Dickinson, Indiana has Trace Jackson-Davis, Iowa has Luka Garza, Illinois has Kofi Kober, and like the next two games, do you want him to get those, those minutes and kind of develop him there against, in my opinion, the two best big men in, in the Big Ten and the best player in the country in Luka Garza?
1: I'm not saying that, but I'm saying like in the previous games, well, let's be honest, they're not stopping either of those guys. There's no one on the team down low, but is he going to be able to stop those guys, especially with Darryl helping being out?
0: I mean, yeah, but I'm saying, do you think that Shoal Mario should have his
1: – I think he should have a shot because they're going to be down, like, a ridiculous amount in these games, so you might as well try something new and see if that works.
0: I mean – And if it thought... doesn't,
1: you pull him after a few minutes.
0: All right. But the reality
1: is they're going to be down double digits in both of these games.
0: Yeah, but we thought that against Wisconsin, too, and they were able to win that game. So, I mean –
1: okay, I will pay you I, – I will buy you drinks for a night if they win either of these games.
0: I'm only 20, so <laughs>
1: – Oh, right, you're not 21 yet. I always forget that.
0: <laughs> um, I think – I mean, they, they have a chance. I mean, it's the Big Ten. I mean, we've seen it all year. I'm not going to count them out. I definitely think that both teams –
1: Against a team like Iowa.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think Iowa and Illinois are going to win. Don't get me wrong, but – It's not 100% because we thought that against Wisconsin too. And I thought, I mean, I just.
1: Wisconsin's a different level, in my opinion, than Iowa. I mean. Much better team.
0: I mean, personally, I think Iowa's a, a better team. But when you're talking about Wisconsin has having an older starting lineup than the Chicago Bulls and players that have been here for years, I thought that they would dominate Maryland. And they weren't able to. So I think that every game is a different story uh, and and i can you also the predict- thing
1: that Darryl Moore sells out that's a huge factor and you, you could see it against indiana
0: yeah yeah that's a huge factor but i still think that there's a chance there's always a chance that's why they play they wouldn't play if there was a zero chance
1: okay maybe there's like 0.5% of a chance
0: I don't know. I'm I not think,
1: trying to be a pessimist, but, like, let's be realistic here, okay? Like,
0: I'm being very realistic by saying. The Maryland team you've
1: seen, you think that they have a chance to be Iowa or Illinois?
0: Yes. I mean, we've seen it throughout the entire Big Ten. There's no bottom this year.
1: I disagree, but I think Maryland's pretty darn close to a bottom.
0: I don't think there's a bottom in this conference. I think that there's going to be 12 or 13 teams that make the tournament. Right now, Maryland, I think, was last projected as an eight seed in the tournament.
1: It was I a mean, ten seed last.
0: I saw eight um, from one of the guys from CBS, and there's like there's literally no bottom in this in this conference. Anybody can beat anybody on any given night, and it, even Iowa, they're not safe. Illinois is not safe. We've seen Illinois struggle so far this year a little bit. I know that they're a much better team than they've been playing like, but there's a chance. I mean, they wouldn't play if there was no chance. And that's just the bottom line. Honestly,
1: but I mean, you look at the standings and you look at, you know, some of these teams, you look at Iowa, like, yes, they've lost games, but you look at who they've lost to and it's because they've had someone who can match up against Luca Garza. Maryland does not have anyone who can match up against him. And the one player, you know, Daryl Morcel has trained with him since they were younger. They trained together over the summer.
0: Wait, Wait, they lost to Minnesota. Minnesota doesn't really have the best big man anymore. They had Daniel Aturu last year, but.
1: But They still have more height there.
0: I mean, I think Marcus Carr was the difference in that game.
1: Yeah, but I'm saying also, like, you have a guy who can kind of stop them. They had a a guy heat up in that game. I just don't think Maryland has that firepower right now. And that's the one game that they've lost in the Big Ten. I, I just don't. And Minnesota is three and two right now in the big Ten. like this isn't a bad team. they're 10 and two overall. I believe they're ranked now.
0: Yeah, they're 16.
1: Yeah, I mean I just don't think Maryland's at that level. I don't think Maryland has a consistent guy like Marcus Carr. I don't think that Maryland has the height down low and I think having Daryl mor in this game would have given them more of a chance because Daryl trained with Luca uh, over the summer. They've worked together throughout high school, um, and so he kind of knows his game a bit more. Might know more about how to stop him, and he just brings that defensive intensity. But I think they're really going to struggle against Iowa and Illinois with not having him there. Uh, and you look at you know Iowa, and they're one of the best you know teams in the country in scoring. They're averaging ninety two point seven points a game. They have the highest win margin in the conference, winning by an average 18.7 points. I mean, you just look at this team, and they're just utterly dominant across the board. And they're going to have a really, really tough task, Maryland is. I mean, they're rebounding offenses first in the conference. Um, You know, you have a guy like Luca Garza, but that's not even like counting all the other guys around him who have been really good as well, especially, you know, a guy like Joe Wieskamp. So they're going to have a heavy task ahead of them. And then Illinois, you've got Iota Sumu and Kofi Coburn.
0: And I think Illinois also more than that. Um, it's, it's, with these two teams, it's not just their one guy. You mentioned it's everybody else around them that makes them two teams that I think could go to the Final Four and win the title, um, especially Garza and Iowa. I think they – I mean, they only lost to Gonzaga and Minnesota. No, I think Gonzaga has a chance to go undefeated and win the title.
2: Um, oh,
1: that, that's not a doubt in my mind that Gonzaga is going to win. Like, this team is going to go undefeated until the NCAA tournament. Like, they are insane.
0: Yeah, they're, they're really good. But I don't think you could ever – I mean, I'm never going to make the prediction that they're going to go undefeated and win just because, especially with the way this this tournament's going to be and with COVID involved and everything, you never know what's going to happen who's going to be out, whatever. But I think they definitely have a shot to get there um, without any losses. And a team like Iowa with Luca Garza, who is going to win the player of the year award running through the big 10 pretty much. I think they have a chance to do that. um, If they're able to stay the course and avoid the storyline of the way the big 10 was last year as well. I mean, last year, the story was not being able to win on the road. Now it's, Anybody can beat anybody. Uh, and I think that I was the best team in the conference. They have the best talent. They're deep. And this is going to be a tough test for Maryland. But in your opinion, how do they stop or contain Luka Garza at all?
1: If I'm being completely honest, I don't think you can. Uh, with the height of this team, I think the key to this game is stopping the pieces around him. Because let's be honest, I mean, Luka Garza is going to be dominant regardless. It's just, it's who he is. Um, And so I think you have to stop the guys around him in Joe Wieskamp. Um, You have to stop a guy like Jordan Bohannon. A lot of these guys that can really shoot the ball from deep, I think that is the key to stopping this team if you want to have a chance because I think it's just going to be hard to stop a guy like Luca Garza with with just how utterly dominant he is. I mean, he's averaging 27.5 points per game you know, he already has 302 points on the season. I mean, this is a guy that just feels unstoppable right now. I mean, national player of the year is really up for that right now. Um, It's just, it's so hard to stop a guy like that. It really is. And so I I think your key to this game is really going to be how can we stop some of these other guys? Um, You know, Luka Garza is also averaging nine rebounds, which leads the team. It's just everything he does he's he's so good he is 22 blocks like this is just an utterly dominant player and you're gonna have a huge struggle trying to stop him so you know what can you do to slow down joe what can you do to slow down jordan bohan and what can you do to slow down all of these other guys especially the guys that can really shoot it from deep you know so can luca but they've got other guys that can really shoot it jordan bohan and cj frederick um Joe Wieskamp, as I mentioned, Patrick McCaffrey has kind of come on and and been a good shooter as well, more so than I expected. So, you know, you have have a tough task there.
0: I mean, for me, I think that the way that you're going to limit Garza at all is to completely eliminate him from the game, and that's what they did with Travion Williams at Purdue, and get him in foul trouble early on, just attack, attack, attack. And you got to just attack the basket down low I mean this guy is a generational college basketball talent he's phenomenal down low on defense and offense but if you're able to get to the basket and draw two fouls on this guy in the first half he's not going to play the rest of the half it's 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 likely that he wouldn't I mean that's what happened with Purdue's Travion Williams so when you're able to limit a guy like that and it's happened to Garza in his career he has not avoided foul trouble when playing in college park he's yet to get a win when playing in his hometown against maryland and i think that this is another chance where if maryland's able to get him into foul trouble they can get him out of the game but the supporting cast around garza is still too good too much firepower that iowa still would be successful without him and they've shown that but to limit him at all is to attack down low early on and just try to get him into foul trouble and he knows that he has to avoid that, too. He talked about that in his availability yesterday, um, just not being able to avoid foul trouble against Maryland. But I think that might be it, it, it could be different this year without fans um, because fans are relentless towards him, especially being from the area. Um, and he's I think he did a podcast with uh, Robbie Hummel and Jeff Goodman a couple of weeks ago. And he said Maryland's fans are the, the toughest to play in the country. Um And he said
1: – There was no fans.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's what I'm saying now, that there's no fans, that he might be able to play a more relaxed game and, and not get into foul trouble and come out with his first win against his hometown team in hometown College team. Park.
1: But, I mean, he's got to be fired up for this game too. I mean, he's another guy – at least Dickinson had an offer. Maryland never even offered uh, Luca, even though he was coached by Lefty Drizelle's, uh son in, in college. I mean, in high school at Murray, you know, he never even got an offer, um, I guess, because they were too busy recruiting Bruno and Jalen and they kind of missed out on this guy. But I I think that's got to give him some motive as well. And Maryland's got to be just, you know, shaking their head, wishing they had gotten that guy.
0: I mean, there's so many different guys that you don't know how they're going to pan out, things like that. Um, I'm not a big guy. I'm talking about.
1: I I watched him play in high school. he was, he was good. He's on a different level now, but he was good in high school.
0: he I'm curious to see how he transitions to the next level, if at all. Um, I mean
1: he'll, he'll be drafted. that's
0: I, I just don't think his body is the typical modern day big man, and I, I don't know how well he'll transition there. I'm sure, and if he shooting 48
1: percent from deep right now.
0: I said his body, not his skill set. His body, he's just too too heavy. And and the way he moves isn't the best in terms of the way a stretch five or stretch four would in in the NBA now. Um,
1: I think teams will overlook that because they can kind of help him with that easily. You know, like he can easily lose weight. They can easily work on his movement. And I think you can see he actually has improved his movement a bit this year. So – I think he does have pro talent. Is he going to be one of the top five picks? I don't think so, but I think he'll be a top 20, top 15 pick. Just because when you have a guy that 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 is that dominant scoring, that's probably going to win national player of the year. You know, that's someone that is going to intrigue a lot of guys. So I guess before we get into Illinois, where we are going to have one of our good friends of the podcast, Brandon Simberg, uh, in a few minutes, who has transferred to Illinois with the pandemic and is covering that team, is going to come on and join us. Matt, predictions for this game?
0: Um, I think Iowa wins by 15 to 20. Um, And we've seen Maryland's offense falter a little bit. I think they'll probably put up around 60 to 70. So I'll say 85 85,
1: 68. Wait, are you serious? You literally just said the exact score from my preview that I was working on. I'm not even lying. That was my exact score I had on the preview. I was working on. 83 uh <laughs> 83 to
0: 65.
1: No, I'm fine with us with us being on the same page. I'm just saying that was exactly my prediction. Well, I don't want
0: to take your predictions because they're never right. So <laughs> hey,
1: my predictions are often right. Do you remember the Minnesota football game?
0: I do remember that. So now we're joined by Brandon Simberg from the Daily Illini, an Illinois men's basketball beat writer. And Brandon, how are you doing today?
3: Good, Matt. It's, uh, it's good to be on the podcast. You know, once upon a time, I too was with Testudo Test- Times, so it's great to be back for a little reunion with you guys. I know. It's good to be back. I'm, I'm happy to see you guys.
1: I am sad I won't be coming to Illinois to see with kind of weird to travel the games now with everything being virtual, but, you know, we're having this matchup we were just talking about before, you know, we started recording about how this has really become, you know, Maryland's rivalry in the big 10, just now being from the Illinois side of things, how are you kind of viewing that rivalry having covered both
3: teams? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I remember last year before the, the, before the first game at Maryland, Illinois forward Georgie Bashanisvili actually said, you know, I don't think they like us too much. We don't like them too much. And then they played two awesome games last year that both came down to the wire. So, I mean, the past three games, these teams have played some really good, really fun, really tough games. And, you know, even though I think Illinois' roster is a little better this year, I don't really think it matters because two years ago at the Garden, it was Maryland who came in as the heavy favorite and Illinois is the underdog took them out. So I think when you go into this matchup, you almost have to throw out the records and see what happens on the court. Because like you said, I don't think these teams like each other that much.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was a great game at the garden. It was, is very surprising. I don't think, you know, like you said, anyone expected that in those games last year. I mean, you've famous game with Anthony Cowan shooting from the Gary Williams logo. I mean, you and I were both at the Illinois game, which was just incredible. I remember Scott Van Pelt was there. Um, So we got to kind of hang out with him a little bit. And it was just that building was insanely loud. You're not going to have that this time around. But just both of those games were just an amazing atmosphere, amazing games. Obviously, you've got a lot of different pieces, especially for Maryland. But I I think you're right. It kind of could go way. I think Illinois definitely has the advantage in terms of talent. But with this rivalry, it'll be interesting to see.
3: Yeah, no, it's it's going to be fun. And now you have a couple guys that have played in this game for a couple of years. Obviously, Maryland has juniors Aaron Wiggins and Eric Ayala. Illinois has junior Ayo Desunmu and Georgie Bishanisvili. So this is like the, the fourth matchup for them all against each other. So there's definitely going to be familiarity there.
1: Yeah, what is what has stood out to you so far about this team this year?
3: Are you talking about Illinois or Maryland? Yeah,
1: for Illinois. I know uh, you've been watching a ton of Maryland too. <laughs>
3: Uh, I mean, so they have Io Dasunmu, who coming into the year was a preseason All-American, but he's kind of solidified himself as one of the best players in the country. You know, when, when they kind of need to take over games, he's done that. He scored 18 points in under nine minutes in the second half against Indiana to pull away against them last week. But this team's more than just Io. You know, Kofi Coburn, Kofi Coburn, the reigning Big Ten freshman of the year, he's back and he's a nightly double-double threat. He's elevated his play in conference. He's averaging over 20 points per game and over 10 rebounds per game. And then, like, you know, they have veteran players. They have veteran role guys. They start two other seniors in Trent Frazier and Demonte Williams, who maybe aren't as big a name as Io and Kofi, but they're seniors. They're really solid players. They do what the coaching staff wants them to do. And then freshman guard Andre Curbelo, he's one of my favorite players to watch. He provides an instant spark off the bench. He's averaging over six assists per game in conference play off the bench. So... Illinois, I think, you know, they have a star, but they have a lot of weapons offensively that they use to beat teams.
0: And what can you say from the play of Andre Curbelo so far? I mean, this guy, it seems like every night, every broadcaster is just all over him.
3: Yeah. I mean, he's, he's one of the most fun freshmen in college. He just, whenever he has the ball in his hands, like he sees passes that I don't understand how he makes them. I'm like, how, how did you see this guy open? He wasn't open two seconds ago. It's almost like he passes guys into being open. And he's coming off the bench right now, but as soon as he steps in, he's making a huge impact in the game. Like on the, in their win against Purdue on Saturday, he had a plus minus of over plus 20 when nobody else was so over plus 10. So like, obviously he's flashy, but he's also really effective when he does step into the game.
1: And I think you're just talking about that depth and I think that could be a big point in this game as Maryland doesn't have that right now especially because Daryl Morsell is going to be out with his game still with um, you know recovering from the fractured bone in his face that he suffered against Michigan and especially in terms of depth and stopping uh, Illinois forwards down low I think that's an area where Maryland's really going to struggle because you're mentioning there's all this depth that Illinois has I mean I think you know player mentioning is is a better passer than anyone on Maryland's team this team is not averaging a lot of assists you had the game against Indiana where your point guard doesn't have a single assist which really can't happen um so I I think that could be a huge point in this game
3: yeah absolutely I think Maryland's going to need all of their front court depth to be ready and be available you know Kofi he's probably the biggest interior force that Maryland has seen this year. He's just a a big guy. And so, you know, they they might need a couple good stints from Troll Muriel or Galen Smith to not get in foul trouble because, you know, I've noticed Maryland's gone with some smaller lineups in the past. And I do like when they go small, I think it creates a lot of advantages for them, but against Kofi Coburn, it's going to be tough for guys like Dante Scott and Jarius Hamilton to guard him without, getting in foul trouble. So I think Maryland's definitely going to need all their front court depth and the fouls could be a big factor because if Maryland can get two fouls on Kofi Coburn, then that changes a lot of things as well.
1: Yeah, they, they have a really tough task facing Luca Garza and then Kofi Coburn. I mean, that, that's really tough, especially when you're missing a defensive presence like Darryl Morsell. And one thing Matt and I were talking about is how – you know, they've had Galen Smith at the five, but they've been putting Dante Scott there a lot. And I don't really think that's the best way to utilize him. As you and I have texted about, I don't think they're necessarily utilizing Dante Scott the right way. What do you think from what you've seen, just how kind of Turton has experimented uh, with those lineups and how that might fare against Illinois?
3: Yeah, I, I think in certain matchups, playing five perimeter players, whether it's Dante Scott at the five or Jarius Hamilton at the five, can create some good things you can play faster you can switch more on defense you have five shooters on the court so you can space teams out but i think against illinois it's going to be tough to do that against kofi um i i love i've loved Dante scott's play so far i think he's been a huge revelation and you know he's shooting really well from the outside so i wish there's times i'm watching maryland i'm like ah, i i wish they could get him some more shots you know I, it's kind of hard I'm to some
1: plays for him like
3: <laughs> yeah like you know last year they ran a, like obviously jalen smith could post up inside and he's a guy you could he was better down low um finishing inside than dante is but they also ran a ton of plays for jalen to get him open looks for three and like pick and pop with cowan so i think if you could replicate a lot of those sets to get Jalen space on the perimeter. You, you could use those for Dante as well, but he'll be an interesting matchup problem for Illinois because they don't really have like a traditional power forward. They start 6'3 3 DeMonte Williams at the four, and he's a good defender and he can guard above his size, but Dante will have the biggest advantage, I think, for Maryland going against Illinois. So if Illinois wants to win, I think they're going to have to utilize Dante more.
1: How, how much has Illinois kind of utilized Georgie, uh, Vonish, I'm I'm going to say his name wrong. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. And Kofi Coburn, like how much have they played on the court with two of them? Has that happened at all this season? Yeah,
3: It. so it, it really depends on matchup. I think earlier in the year they were playing some smaller teams, so they didn't want to throw out the two-center look, and Georgie was primarily used as the backup center option. But then against Indiana, a team that you guys just saw, who has Race Thompson and Trace Jackson Davis up front – Illinois went to Kofi and, and Georgie together on the court at once, and they actually played really well together. Um, like Georgie's a really good high-low passer, where he catches at the top of the key and can enter the ball down low, and they work well as a tandem. And Georgie's a really good communicator on defense. He's loud, he's active, he's energetic. In these empty gyms, it's impossible not to hear, hear him. So, I think against Maryland, he's going to play a, a role one way or the other, whether that's next to Kofi at the four. You know, maybe when Maryland plays Dante, Georgie's kind of the counter to that. Or when Kofi sits or potentially gets in foul trouble, he can slide into the five. So he's a very versatile piece to have.
1: You, you mentioned that energy. And I honestly think that's something Maryland's been lacking, especially when you have a guy, Darryl sell out there, especially lacking that energy. And I think that could be a difference. That was a huge point against Rutgers is Rutgers was just bringing the energy, communicating more in the, on the court. And you need to see that from Maryland.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and especially especially a road game. I think it's a lot easier to bring energy in your own gym, a gym you're familiar with. You know, you're not – didn't have to travel super far to get there. So I think for any road team, to any team to win on the road in the Big Ten, which has been crazy this year, um, you need to bring energy. So, I mean, if Maryland can do that and do some of the things we talked about, I certainly think they have a chance, especially in this kind of rivalry game.
0: So, Brandon, <laughs> predictions for this game, I mean, we talked about it. The last couple of years, they've had some phenomenal games, especially last year. The one in College Park and the one in Illinois were just probably two of the best games that Maryland played, at least. Um, So predictions for this matchup, their only matchup of the season in this year.
3: Yeah, it is a bummer that this matchup isn't being played in College Park because I would love to go back and see everyone on the beat and stuff, but... Yeah, I think that, you know, Illinois, even though they've won a couple games in a row, they haven't really been blowing teams out. Indiana was beating them by five with nine minutes left in Champaign. And Purdue went on a 19-0 run at one point against them. So even though I think Illinois is more talented on paper, I think this is going to be a close game. But I'll take Illinois as the home team to win by seven. I'll say 73-67.
1: Yeah, I think this is going to be a much closer game for Maryland than Iowa. I see if I'm losing to Iowa by like 18 points, I think is what I predicted. Um, I I could see this as kind of a within 10 to five point game, but I do think that Illinois comes out on top.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with Illinois as well. And I think somewhere between seven to 10 um, is probably the range that I would go with.
1: Well, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you back. On the podcast. We miss you here at Testudo Times. And everyone, make sure you're still following along, with Brandon, so we can get as you get ready to watch this Illinois
3: game. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this was a blast.
0: So now we're joined by Maryland Women's Basketball Beat reporter for Testudo Times, Lauren Roche. And we're going to now talk about this women's basketball team that is going in a pretty much entirely different direction than the men's basketball team at Maryland. Seven and one now, first place in the Big Ten, and just pretty much firing on all cylinders, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, Lauren, what has just kind of stood out to you so far before we get into the Indiana thing? If you kind of point out, like, one thing that stood out to you the most so far this season.
2: Yeah, so the team had a lot of kind of rebuilding to do or reloading to do, as they've kind of called it, with the um, transfers and the graduates. So I think just the way that they've kind of been able to – Build as a team and really just kind of find their identity very early on has helped them a lot and just kind of watching the way that they all play so like the returners like Ashley Alusu and Diamond Miller the way that they've just been kind of able to lead the team as sophomores and in working so well with the transfers as well it's been really fun to watch and all the points that they score all the um, three-pointers that's going on it's just a very exciting thing to watch.
1: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the transfers, and I definitely didn't expect this from Katie Benzan. I mean, she came in, and she comes from Harvard, so you don't really know how that jump is going to be from the Ivy League to a conference like the Big Ten, but I mean, she has been a lights-out shooter. It's almost like she replaced Taylor Sell perfectly in terms of, you know, being that shooter. I would even say that she's a bit more accurate, in all honesty, um, because Taylor was kind of up and down at points last season, and I think that's been huge, and Chloe Bibby as well, but just what has stood out to you about, I mean, I guess i of you, cause Matt, I know you've called games as well about just Katie who she is as a player and she's, you know, short and still able to do all the stuff at what, like five, nine.
0: Six. Five, yeah. six?
1: Oh, five, six. Oh, Okay.
0: Um, well, for me, I think, I think you hit it on the nose. I think she is a better shooter than Taylor. Um. I think Taylor has more potential to maybe play at the next level, but. I think when you're talking about Katie in a three-time all-Ivy uh, All Ivy League first-team player, she did it all in the Ivy League, and it's, it's translating pretty well into the Big Ten, which I think Maryland's offense just fits her well. Um, whether she has the ball in her hands, she can give it up, or moving off the ball, just finding herself open, and someone passes to her wide open for three, and she has a very quick release that just kind of, she could shoot pretty much anywhere on the floor, and it doesn't matter who's guarding her, um, so I think she's really been a tremendous option on offense for this team.
1: Yeah, I mean, fifty-three point seven percent from deep is impressive, especially with women's basketball when usually the stats are just a little bit lower from deep. I mean, that that's pretty ridiculous just to even be shooting, you know, above, um, you know, thirty-five or forty is really good for, um, you know, NCAA women's from what we've seen, especially from Maryland over the years. Um, so I think that's really been huge, and you've written about it, Lauren, a lot, how she'll kind of spark the team um, and just kind of go on those those runs almost by herself.
2: Yeah, so for Indiana, she hit back-to-back threes to start off the game and kind of kick off that ten zero run for the Terps that led to the Indiana timeout. And, you know, for her, it was all about finding a program that was competitive and everyone was passionate about what they were doing. And she said she just wanted to find a place where everybody loved the game. Like for her, it wasn't about her role, what it would be on the team. And I think that's just kind of fallen into place. She found the program that everyone cares as much about winning as she does and just succeeding. And from there, she's been able to just be an incredible teammate. So in addition to all the shots that she has, she also has 19 assists. She's continuing to kind of like be a playmaker, make these big plays, even when the ball is not in her hands directly.
1: That's something that I found interesting, because I kind of assumed, okay, she's five six, she'll play point, but you're still having Ashley at point, she's playing a shooting guard role, and I think that's been impressive, just kind of, because she does have those height mismatches, um, but she just has such a great shot, it's, you know, it doesn't even matter.
2: Yeah, and she also just tends to stay, like, very – she's very good at, like, hyping up her team and kind of the leadership skills that she built at Harvard have allowed her to do that, but she stays very calm. And, like, when she misses shots, like, normally she's able to bounce right back and continue to kind of, like, build that momentum for herself. Right, and I I was joking the other
1: night. It's funny. um, You know, she's third on the team, 15.1. I mean, that's more than anyone on the men's team for leading. Um, It's just, like, you look at these numbers – And you currently have six players averaging double-digit scoring on this team, which is just kind of, like, ridiculous. It's, it's like, no wonder they're second in the country for uh, scoring. And another one of those transfers, I mean, Chloe Bibby from, you know, she was at Mississippi State, is from Australia. She's had kind of a ton of double-doubles, is leading this team in rebounding. Um, What has stood out to you guys about how she's played so far, the impact she's had on this team, especially – you know, being one of those taller bodies down low.
2: Yeah, I think just from what I'm seeing, and I kind of saw this a little bit before the season had even started, was she just has this natural leadership about her in addition to the talent that she brings to the team. You know, Mississippi State, she was averaging 9.1 points per game and uh, brown five boards per game, but she's really brought that over to Maryland, but kind of the natural leadership ability that she has and the way that she hypes up her teammates and kind of just supports her teammates every time that she's talking to the media or, you know, she's talking to her teammates. It's always about just building people up, and she just really believes that this team can win a national championship, and she wants to be a part of it, and just kind of like that energy that she brings in a combination with the talent that she has, has really been a fantastic addition to Maryland.
0: And you mentioned wanting to win that national championship. She appeared in one as a freshman at Mississippi state lost to Notre Dame when Arike Ungumbawale hit that crazy buzzer beater. That's one of the best women's basketball moments pretty much ever, but um, she has that experience and that leadership that she's bringing in addition to her skill set of stretching the floor, going down low, shot blocking. She's really done everything that a a, a big would do, almost like a, a stretch four. And she could shoot the three as well. So just all the skill she's brought has been complemented well by having that experience that she's really the only player that's really had that winning experience because Maryland didn't get it last year to try and go to the final four. So some of these players that, like, Ashley Wusu and Diamond Miller, who did win the Big Ten title last year in the regular season and the tournament, they don't have that NCAA tournament experience. So it's going to be huge if they're able to play the tournament come March that they have Chloe Bibby, who lasted the entire way as a freshman.
1: Right. And you mentioned, Lauren, with both these players, kind of a leadership and energy that they bring. And I think that's just like a common theme you see with Brenda Fries' teams. You know, she just does such an amazing job of getting her teams hyped up and building that self-leadership. It's something that she's always talked about. You know, self-led teams are always going to be, you know, better. I think the turning point they really talked about last season was we became more of a self-led team. And it seems like when you bring in those two players, you already have Ashley kind of confident and and in that role, having learned it last year, it seems like you're really having that and just the different things Brenda does, whether it's the hard hats and, and Windex after games, or are just the different things she does to bring energy. That's something that's always stood out to me about her teams is, you know, you're not going to kind of see them really get down on themselves. She's always going to pick that back up. So kind of transitioning there in Indiana, I mean, Lauren, tell us a little bit how she was getting the team up, uh, hyped up for that game in case anyone didn't see a video because that was one of my favorite things that came out this week.
2: Yeah, so Indiana was picked by Big, in the Big Ten coaches poll to win the conference this year, which is something that you know Maryland is normally favorited for, and they normally do. And before the game, there was a video put out on Twitter that was really great, that really just like took you inside the locker room with the team. And before the game, you know, Coach Freeze was really just kind of like talking about how, like, asking her team, "What's any different about this year?" like Indiana hat is the favorites. Like we have to go out there and kind of like take that back. And, you know, Maryland did, they worked hard. They played hard. They started the game off strong. They wavered a little bit, but they ended up coming back and winning. And after the win, you know, you you're taken back into the locker room in this video and, you know, Brenda's just hyped up. She's excited. She, she has her, she and her team have proven what they wanted to prove, which is like, they are still, consistent they are still a great team despite some of the losses that they had despite the new phases like they are still a basketball powerhouse
1: right I mean when you talk about this basketball powerhouse you know Matt and I have talked about before how we saw this team if the season had it ended you know being in a championship with Oregon of them getting to that level you've talked about their national championship aspirations and I think you know when we talked about this before season Matt but we weren't really sure because we didn't know how Um, you know, these transfers would do. But, I mean, it seems clear to me now that this team does have, you know, championship potential, really. I mean, I I love seeing on Twitter you see all these WNBA stars just tweeting about how, uh, you know, good this team is. And you can really see it. I mean, even though they faltered very little bit, they're just so dominant. And just the player, the talent on this team is ridiculous.
0: Well, I'm not even sure they're going to lose another game this year. Uh, (laughs) That that might be a crazy statement, but – it just seems like even though they only beat Indiana by four, that game really wasn't as close as the score showed. Um, and when you put the ball in someone like Owusu's hands, just go get a basket, it's, it's almost too easy for her. And I think everybody's starting to notice that. Um, but the only concern I have with this team going forward is the number of players on the roster. When, when, when it's time for March Madness and you have to go seven players deep, they might be a little tired, going a couple games in however many days it is. Uh, but in terms of the skill that they have, they're as good as anybody, and I think they can beat anybody. So, I mean, they have another transfer coming in who's who's eligible now, Elijah Styles. I don't know when she'll play, but that's another piece that they can use, another body on the floor, just to get some rest for other players, and I think that's huge. Um, and then especially with Angel Reese is able to come back in February or March. That's another piece of just phenomenal <laughs> talent, literally was phenomenal in her first week as a freshman. So I think when the pieces come in, they really do have the, a chance to win and go far in this tournament. But that's right now. My only concern is that they just don't have enough players on the team.
2: Yeah, I I understand the concern and I think they have the uh, smallest roster in the Big 10 actually. And so that is definitely something to look out for going forward, but they started off their season in the um Gulf Coast Showcase which was, you know, three games and kind of tested them really early on. They were playing two ranked opponents and they actually they did lose that second game. And whether that was a fluke or whatever that was, they were still trying to find their groove. I think you know that kind of even though they have a depth of talent in terms of numbers you're completely right it is kind of smaller but hopefully they do kind of keep that momentum and energy going and that can help them and you know when Angel comes back and when Alaysia Styles hopefully can play soon that will kind of add to the rotation but something that comes up time and time again whenever especially what Diamond Miller says a lot is like you know we just went out there and we played Maryland basketball and when you talk about what Maryland basketball means and you kind of follow up with that she always talks about how it's about playing as a team and not as an individual and they are their most like their most energetic and they're playing their best when they're playing as a team and playing this like Maryland basketball style so I do think if they're able to continue to do that hopefully they'll be able to maintain some of that energy even when things get a little bit more intense day by day
1: yeah I mean you mentioned you guys both mentioned Angel Reese coming back like if this is how good the team is right now it seems like they could kind of be unstoppable once you bring Angel back in. Cause I mean, she was incredible in in the few games that she played in. And I remember we were talking, we thought that it would be like a huge blow to this team that she was injured, but I mean, the team continued to excel. And so I think then you bring her back and I mean, that's just going to be ridiculous. I mean, with what you have right now, you know, we've mentioned Ashley Wusu and, and Diamond Miller, they've, You know, they're both averaging over 18 points per game. Uh, They're both shooting the ball really well. Um, You know, Ashley's also leading the team in assists. She's leading the team in steals. I mean, she's just been incredible. I mean, you have all these different pieces. Mimi Collins has come in and really, um, you know, made a bigger impact than expected with Reese's injury. Um, And so it just seems like they're just going to be very, very hard to stop once you bring in that piece of having Angel Reese in.
2: Yeah, I definitely think so too. I mean, every player who's on that roster, no matter how small it is, has something to bring to the team, even if their skills do need to be developed a bit more, which has been addressed, you know, like Zoe Young is still recovering for working on rehabbing her ACL and all of that. But Overall, like, any player who comes off the bench, like, you know, Shanice Lewis, Faith Masonis, every time that they're coming into the game, they are bringing a spark of energy and they are able to contribute. And you have the traditional leaders, like you were saying, like Owusu and Miller, but these other players are still able to, like, bring, you know, uh, raise a score and kind of bring the momentum that Brenda hopes for every single player on her team, and they're achieving that.
1: Right, so you mentioned another test coming up when they're going to face – Michigan State—they just took down the upper highest re- team in the conference in Indiana. You have a lot more ranked teams in the Big Ten for women this year than you would normally see. So now we're going to take on Michigan State. What are you looking to watch in that matchup, Lauren?
2: Yeah, I think just kind of hopefully seeing in the last game when Indiana kind of came close to stealing Maryland's lead was when Ashley and Diamond were in a little bit of foul trouble in the first half and. This is something that Diamond has kind of been dealing with throughout the season. I mean, she comes back and she has explosive second halves and fourth quarters specifically. I mean, in the last game, she scored over half her points in the fourth quarter. But I am kind of going to be looking to see if Diamond can hopefully play to her full minute potential without getting into any foul trouble making sure that she can, you know, play the whole time. Because Maryland is at its best when Ashley and Diamond are in the game. It's not even a question. I think that they are still – I mean, they proved it against Indiana. They can still win if Ashley and Diamond have to sit for a few minutes. But the second they came back into the game, the momentum shifted again. So Ashley struggles with it less than Diamond does. So I'm hoping to see – that's kind of where my eye is at is Diamond and fouling and seeing how long she can play.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, and they have a bit of a easier road after this with, you know, facing Purdue, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um, you know, Iowa isn't necessarily the team that it has been in recent years. So, it, I mean, I think Matt's right where you could see them go undefeated. But, I mean, they are going to have some tests after that, especially towards the end of the season. You know, just kind of looking at the standings right now, as we mentioned, Maryland is tied with Michigan State at the lead um in terms of conference play but i mean they're going to be playing upcoming after this game as i mentioned you have purdue uh a team that is currently two and two then you've minnesota um who's currently one and three then you have wisconsin that um you know is oh and four uh you know I was a bit better of a team at three and one, but I mean, after this game, you kind of have an easy coast for a little bit there to give this team a bit of a break, which I think will you know be big after playing two ranked teams.
2: yeah, I think so as well, and I mean they don't they don't take it lightly those games that maybe are a little less challenging on paper because I think you know they they go out there and they try and fight for the entire game that they have and I think you know it will be not quite a break for them those games but hopefully it's a case for a a chance for them to continue to grow as a team and build their skills before they kind of head into you know they do play Michigan State again this season and you they do play a couple big 10 opponents a couple times so it won't hurt those games will definitely be helpful for them to allow them to continue to just gel into the team that they are into the identity that they have.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us, Lauren. We appreciate you taking the time. Everyone be sure to follow Lauren on Twitter to be sure to be following uh, along of her coverage. Where can people
2: kind of follow you on social, Lauren? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter, which is Lauren, my first name, and then underscore Rosh, that's R-O-S-H, and you can find me there. And I post all things Maryland women's basketball, so definitely stay tuned. Well, thank you so much for
1: joining us and thank you everyone for tuning in and listening to Times. We'll have all your coverage of Maryland and women's basketball and as we start winter and spring sports as well. So be sure to follow along at StuartTimes.com.